from 2 Samuel 2. In 2 Samuel 2, it's 1000 B.C. Saul has been king of Israel. And his son, he and his son Jonathan died in battle. All of the nation of Israel loves and wants David to be king. This is the same David that a decade and a half earlier had killed Goliath. David is now about 27 or 30 years old. All of Israel loves him and wants him to be king. Another son of Saul is Ishbosheth, and he wants to be king. So a civil war breaks out in Israel. And there's a battle that's described in 2 Samuel chapter 2. You may turn there in your Bible and read along, or you may just listen to me read it. But on this, in this battle, it's a civil war. Israelites fighting Israelites. Some are fighting for Saul's son, Ishbosheth. Some are fighting for David. They want him to be king. On Saul's side, Ishbosheth's side, is Abner, who has been the captain of the army for decades. On David's side, he has three brothers who are actually his nephews, but the older two, David was the youngest of seven sons and two daughters, so his nephews are actually older than him. So Joab, Abishai, and Asahel are his nephews. They are the sons of his sister. But Joab and Abishai are older than him by a little bit. They're maybe in their 30s, or Joab may be even as old as 40. Asahel is younger. Asahel, I don't have time to go into how the scholars figure all this out, but Asahel is somewhere maybe between 17 and 25. We've got these three brothers that are the nephews of David, and they're commanding his army. And Ishbosheth is the son of Saul. Abner is commanding his army. Abner has been the commander of the army for decades. And here we go. 2 Samuel 2, I'm going to start in verse 12. Now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, Zariah is David's sister, Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon, and they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So they're going to decide the battle by the same way that Goliath wanted to decide the battle 15 years before this. Instead of killing everybody on both sides, let's just all send a champion out, and whoever wins the battle, everybody else be your servants. So they would do that from time to time. They would pick a champion, and they would fight a one-on-one battle uh, rather than killing everybody off. And Abner proposes this. He's like, hey, we're all Israelites here. Let's not all slaughter each other. Let's just uh, let's pick 12 guys on each side and have them fight each other, and that will decide the battle. So, verse 15, they arose and went over by number, 12 from Benjamin, the followers of Ishbosheth, and 12 from the servants of David, and each one, all 24, each one, 12 on each side, grabbed his opponent by his head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side, and they all fell down together. 24 guys stabbed the other one all at the exact same time, and they all died in the same moment. Therefore, the place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, <laughs> which is in Gibeon. So there was, so, well, since that didn't settle anything, they all jumped up and ran at each other. I'm sure you've seen enough movies to imagine what this looks like. Okay, so they jump up and scream and run at each other in battle. And there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and the sons of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. It was really fast. So Asahel pursued Abner 
And in going, he did not turn to the right or to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? And he answered, I am. So they're running down the road. Abner is running from this guy, but they're turning around talking to each other as they run. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left. Lay hold of one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then should I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear so that the spear came out his back, and he fell down there and died on the spot. And so it was that many, as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died stood still. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. So the two older brothers chase Abner now. And the sun was going down. When they came to the hill of Ammah, which is before Gaia in the road of the wilderness, now the children of Benjamin gathered together before Abner and became a unit and took their stand on the top of a hill. And Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour us forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then that you, till you tell the people to return from killing their brethren? And Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel any more, nor did they fight any more. And Abner and his men went on all through the night, crossed over the river, and went through all the way to Bithron and came out at Mahanaim. And Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and he gathered all the people together. And there were missing of David's servants, 19 men and Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Abner's men 360. Then they took Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. All right, so those of you who were around 15 years ago remember Pastor Tom preaching on this story a lot. And the, the angle that he came at it from is very different than what I want to talk about. He, he talked about the danger of Asahel getting away from his army. Asahel was really fast. He had a talent and a skill that he thought he could use to defeat the enemy, but he got isolated. He ran away from his covering. What I want to talk about is, is something a little bit different, that Asahel is David's nephew, and most likely quite a bit younger uh, nephew, and he is zealous for his king, and he's going to kill anybody that stops his king, and, and so he's chasing Abner, and he's very, very fast fast enough that he could catch this guy. And Abner is quite a bit older, at least probably 35 and maybe 45. He has a lot more battle experience. Hello? And Abner, as they're running, Asahel is getting closer and closer, and Abner says, you better pick somebody else to fight. And Asahel won't listen, and he says it again. He says, you better turn aside, I don't want to kill you, because how then would I face your brother? See, Ishbosheth is Saul's son, David is his son-in-law, Abner is the commander of the army, Joab is a sub-officer of some sort. They, all these guys know each other. It's a small place. Uh, all these guys know each other, and J Abner tells Asahel, I don't want to fight you, and believe me, you don't want to fight me. And Asahel continues to chase him. And twice Abner says, back off, dude. I don't want to kill you. 
and Asahel continues to run. So it's my imagination, I know, but I'm picturing Asahel just a few feet behind Abner, and they're running at full speed, and Abner's carrying his spear, and Abner just stops and does this. And he shoves the flat end of his spear all the way out Asahel's back. That's pretty gruesome. It says that when other people were coming down, because apparently they're not the only ones running down, the battle is going this direction, and everybody else that comes along stops and looks because that's not something you see every day. I mean, the shaft of their spears, was, their spears were not narrow. They were not easily breakable. It would have been a very fat stick that he shoved right through Asahel's gut. So Asahel has a skill that he's very, very good at, but Abner has experience. And he warns him twice, I am not your enemy. Don't make me your enemy. But Asahel is sure that his job is to kill Abner, so he won't listen to Abner's advice, and in pride and self-deception, he gets killed. I think about other people in Scripture that would not listen to counsel. Ahab was told by the prophet Micaiah, don't go to battle, you will die. And because he doesn't like the prophet, he, he locks him in jail and he says, I'll come and your torture is going to be especially bad when I get back. I mean, he doesn't come back. Uh, I think of Achan, who was with Joshua at Jericho. And Joshua tells everybody, don't touch any of the treasure of the city. It all belongs to God. And Achan ignores the instruction, hides some of the treasure for himself. God exposes that, and he and his wife and his kids and his animals are all put to death. I think about Saul being told by Samuel, wait until I get there to offer the sacrifice. And Saul won't do it. He gets afraid. He disobeys direct instruction from the prophet. And... Samuel shows up and says, because you offered the sacrifice, God has ripped the kingdom out of your hand. And then Saul does it a second time when Samuel gives him the instruction of the Lord, God wants you to kill all of the Amalekites, every one of them, put them all to death. And then Saul saves the best animals and he saves the king. And Samuel comes and says he hacks Agag to pieces before the Lord. I love that verse. Ha <laughs> ha! And Samuel, that's where Samuel says to Saul, the Lord has ripped the kingdom out of your hand and given it to one who is after his own heart. That's where David gets called the man after God's own heart. It's where Saul has a direct instruction from the Lord through Samuel, and he doesn't obey it. I think about Lot's wife. The angel gets an angelic instruction. Do not turn around. She turns around. So here's what I arrive at is that being unteachable will get you killed. <laughs> I'm serious. If you will not listen to other people, Adam and Eve, direct disobedience. All you have to do is don't eat that tree. Well, then that's the one we want. <laughs> being unteachable, being unleadable will get us killed. Proverbs 29.1 says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And Proverbs 15.10 says, Whoever ignores correction will die. 
Whoever ignores correction will die. I, I don't want to die. <laughs> it is honestly the, the intent of my heart and the desire of my heart to be teachable, to be instructable, and that if somebody else who's a better dad or a better pastor or whatever than me has some advice for me, I need to listen. If they're having success, I need to listen. In my job, I get the opportunity to give counsel often, sometimes at people's request and sometimes not. But uh, it, it is interesting to me and to other pastors um, how that plays out. I was talking with another pastor this week about a person that we're a man that we're both having to deal with and just absolutely will not listen this this man has been to apparently five or six pastors in the valley and he keeps getting told the same thing every time and he just absolutely will not receive it because what he's being told is it's it's you that's wrong not your ex-wife and he doesn't want to hear that things are getting out of hand enough that they actually numerous pastors are going are having to deal with it it's just it's it's fascinating to me that people even when they're hurting very very badly will not take advice they will not receive counsel people come and ask me for a meeting tell me their story ask for my advice i give it and they leave mad <laughs> sorry <laughs> What can I do? So what I want to talk about this morning is is uh, don't be an ass of hell. <laughs> don't don't be an ass of hell. If someone tells you something, listen to them, even if you think they're your enemy. Proverbs. 20, uh, sorry, Proverbs 1, 22 to 27 says, this is wisdom speaking. Solomon, as he wrote the opening of Proverbs, he, uh, he creates this character called wisdom, and wisdom is a woman, and she says this. Wisdom says, if you turn at my rebuke, surely I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. But because I have called and you refused... Because you wouldn't listen to my counsel and would have none of my correction, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. That's some pretty brutal words. Wisdom says she will mock us if we don't listen to her. Proverbs 12.1 is a verse that I live by. You've heard me quote it often. That whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I genuinely want to think of that verse every day. Proverbs 15.31 says, The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who resists instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Because honestly, what I, what I see is that the reason we don't like to be corrected is because of pride. 
I don't want to have to admit that I've been doing it wrong or I didn't know it all or something like that. I want to blame the other person who hurt me, but before honor is humility. James 3, 17 and 18 says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable and then gentle, submissive, or willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. But the fruit of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I know that when, when Sarah has had to say something that, about me that she doesn't like, my natural response is to get mad and say, uh-uh. <laughs> uh, and, and hers likewise. I'm sure everybody's familiar with that. We don't like being told that we're wrong. Uh, it's, it's really just pride. And all of these verses speak to that. But back to Asahel here. Asahel thinks that Abner is his enemy. And he wants to kill him. Because Asahel loves David as king. It's his uncle, but it's his king and he's going to fight for him, and he's going to kill his enemies. But the truth is that Abner was not his enemy. Abner was not David's enemy. You know the rest of the story, you know. David loved Abner. Abner didn't want to kill Asahel, and he told him twice, go fight somebody else, get away from me, I don't want to kill you. I couldn't face your brother if I do. He's being very gracious. Abner was a personal friend of David. He's a personal friend of Joab. These guys have known each other. They're roughly the same age. They have known each other for decades. Abner is not Asahel's enemy. Asahel thinks he is. Because Asahel is zealous for David. He thought he should kill Abner. But David would not have wanted him to. We know that because when later on, in the story we have not yet read, but you've read it in your Bible, I, I hope, Joab goes and kills Abner in revenge for this. You killed my little brother. He goes in for a hug, and he rips his gut open with a knife. And David is furious. He makes Joab lead the funeral procession. And he sings a mourning song for Abner. And he says of Abner, he was a prince and a great man in Israel. So if Asahel, in this story, if Asahel had killed Abner, David would have killed him. Just like he killed the, the guy that said he killed Saul. You with me? And later, two guys kill Ishbosheth and come and tell David, think they're going to get a reward. And David kills them. Hello? You with me? So, 
there's no question that David did not want Abner dead. Asahel just thinks he does. He thinks, I'm on David's side. I'm going to fight. I have a skill. I'm going to take out the enemy. But actually, he didn't know David's heart at all. He was just there for the competition. So moving forward in the story we just read, after Joab catches up with Abner, Abner turns around with his men, and they're ready for another fight. And he says, we don't really want to do this. How long are you going to keep killing your brothers? Because they're all Israelites. He said, and so he basically tells Joab the same thing. He told his little brother earlier before he had to kill him. He says, let's stop this. This is nonsense. And Joab listens. Right? Joab turns around and he says, you're right. We probably would have killed you all overnight if you hadn't spoke up. Joab is in this battle rage, you know, soaked in blood and swinging his sword, and he's ready to kill whoever's in front of him. And Abner turns around and he says, Hey, Joab, calm down. Well, look at what you're doing. You're killing off your fellow Israelites. We're not the enemy. And he takes a deep breath and he says, You're right. You're not the enemy. Thank you. He thanks Abner. And he calms down and they walk off. Right? Many times in marriage, in friendships, in family, and in church, we make enemies of people who are not our enemies. In a flash of a moment, Sarah can become my enemy because she's pointing out something I don't like. (laughs) Brothers or sisters or husband and wife or people in church or parent and child, all of a sudden, flash. There's something that happens that we don't like, and we forget that we're not enemies. Asahel didn't take Abner's advice because he thought he was his enemy. Abner was not his enemy, and what he's saying was wisdom, and what he was saying was right. And he could have saved his life. But in pride, he kept chasing him. So I'm here to say this morning, don't be an Asahel. Listen to your enemies. Listen to your enemies. Let me say it again. Listen to your enemies. I'm using the word enemy loosely. I'm saying the people that you're mad at. The people that have hurt your feelings by what they just said. Whether that's your spouse or a coworker or somebody here in church or whatever the situation may be, listen to your enemies. Most, I don't know if I should say most, a lot of the time they are not your enemy. We're all Israelites here. We're all family or we're all in the same church or we're all brothers and sisters in Christ or whatever, coworkers, you know, whatever the situation may be. In pride, we make people out to be our enemy who are not Jesus' enemy. And in our own pride and anger and battle rage, we think Jesus is on my side. And actually, you make yourself Jesus' enemy. We, We can know for sure that if Asahel had killed Abner, David would have killed him. And the whole time, Asahel thinks he's fighting for David. 
there are a lot of Christians who think they're fighting for Jesus and they are they have made themselves his enemy because they are wreaking destruction in their families or their churches or whatever else situations people that aren't their enemies and they aren't Jesus's enemies listen to the rebukes of your enemy it's pride when we don't want to listen to somebody who's different than us. It's really easy to get on Facebook and post some very, very stabbing personal comment or political comment or something very judgmental. And then the other side does that too. And people just line up for battle and stab each other. I'm not preaching a, hey, let's all have a group hug and get along kind of sermon. That's not what I mean. But it doesn't do any good for us to line up on two sides and stab at each other. Depending on the group I'm talking about, we can say, hey, we're all Christians here. Or, hey, we're all Americans. Or, hey, we're family. Or, hey, hey, let's remember, we're married. <laughs> we are on the same team here. I see lots of smiling and nodding. I think you get it. What I encounter, though, is a second reason that we don't like taking advice or correction, especially from our enemy. I mean, Asahel isn't going to listen to Abner. He's the enemy. I don't know, he just wants me to turn around and leave because he can get away. That was not what was in Abner's heart at all. He was not trying to get away. He was honestly did not want to kill his friend's little brother. He did not want to kill David's nephew. If you see later on as you go through the story, Abner and David loved each other. Even though Abner's on the other side in this little civil war, they're, they're friends and they honor and respect each other. Asahel made an enemy of somebody who was not an enemy and he wouldn't listen. And he thought he was fighting for David. You can... Or we can get in so much trouble thinking we're fighting for Jesus and we're attacking other Christians. And you make Jesus your, your enemy. But another th- thing that I see in counseling people and, and leading people is the re- well, another reason we don't want to admit we're wrong or listen to advice is not just pride, but it's pain. It hurts to confess that I was wrong. It hurts. To avoid the pain of confession is the deadliest thing we can do to our soul. To hold that in and get hard and resistant will kill us. It's kind of like uh, somebody with a tumor inside their body somewhere and it's growing and the doctor finds it but it's not yet causing pain or trouble. Maybe there's some symptoms, but it's not unlivable. But the doctor wants to take a scalpel and cut that thing out. And let's forget about anesthesia. Let's t- think about you know most of the history of the world. They didn't have that. You just give them an overdose of whiskey or something and or opium, and hopefully you know we can get it done quick. It's going to hurt worse to fix the problem than the problem hurts. And we can get very, very used to living with our problems. 
So much so that we don't want them fixed because to be honest about it would hurt more than living with my sin habit. Hello? God is the surgeon that wants to come in and cut it out, even though for a little while that will hurt worse. God is not afraid of pain. He's not afraid of causing us pain. I'm talking about it in a productive sense. I'm not saying he's behind the people that have sinfully hurt us. But he's not afraid of causing us pain. You know, if some warrior in battle got shot with an arrow and it's stuck in his shoulder, it's going to hurt really bad to pull that out. But it's got to come out. Or you will die any number of medical situations you could think of where it's going to hurt, it's going to be hard, it's going to be expensive, it's going to be long, but we have to address this problem. But addressing the problem is painful. And so many of us would rather live with our injury than get help. Because I know what will happen if I go talk to Pastor Mitchell, tell me I have to forgive. I don't want to forgive. I'd rather live with the anger. I know forgiveness hurts. Crazy as that is, it does. Or admitting that I have been at fault in whatever your situation is so painful. We would just rather avoid treatment and tough it out than go to the chiropractor or the massage guy who hurts. You know, just this week, Will had a knot in his back right up here in the middle in his ribs, and I was trying to work the muscle and work the knot out of his muscle. And when I'd hit the right spot, he would ah! he'd roll over and he'd like, "Stop! That hurts!" Like, you want me to rub your foot? <laughs> if you have a muscle out, I have to rub the one that hurts. I'm not going to rub your palm when your back is out. Hello. God will intentionally touch us where it hurts. On purpose. He will bring worse pain than what our problem is to get rid of the problem. I don't know how many of you have gone to massage therapists like John or whatever, but I've told him I'm about to sit up and punch you because <laughs> it hurts so bad. I have this, uh, there's a hip flexor muscle that goes from the abdomen to the, to the hip and the spine and that was what was years ago was causing my back problems. I would go to the chiropractor two or three times a week, and he would put my hips and my back in, and then I would be in pain the next day. And it was because John found out that we have, there's a hip, hip flexor on each side, and for years I had had one that was off, and the other one was like on. It was like cramped up, and it wasn't anything that I felt, but it was twisting my hip over time, and it was doing real damage in my back. And he rubbed my back through my stomach. <laughs> he lays me on my back, and he pushes down in there, and he's, and he's going all the way to my spine. And I, <laughs> it was all I could do to stay there. And I was like, John, quit. <laughs> I'm going to bust your nose. <laughs> it hurts so bad for 30 seconds. And I stood up. And after years, literally years, of going to the chiropractor two and three times a week, I had zero pain. I, all, of the, all of it was gone. 
it was, I couldn't believe it. Like, this is the answer. <laughs> Thank you, John. And I had to go back for one more visit a week or two later. But now, every time I know, I know that feeling now. I don't actually feel the muscle. It's not like a muscle cramp or a muscle that's out in your back. It's a different feeling. I just feel that twist in my back. I, go, I don't go to the chiropractor anymore. I go to John, and he works that muscle, and everything loosens and comes in line. And it hurts. I know. I'm just like, John, I need an appointment. He's like, oh. Because I'm like one of five of his patients that he has to do this regularly, too. He's like, okay. I said, I said do you, I, one time I'm laying there, and he's doing it. I'm like, do you have anybody else? And he's just working. He's working me. Do you have anybody else that asked for this? He says, no, nobody. <laughs> God has to touch us where it hurts. And guess what? A lot of times the problem area is not what hurts. Sarah will go in for trouble in her upper back up in here, and he will rub her forearm. And he said, well, your problem is that your, your forearm is twisted, and your forearm twists, and it brings your shoulder forward, and that brings your head forward and puts your weight on your back, and she leaves totally pain-free in her back. So a lot of times, you may be having marriage trouble or financial trouble or anger or whatever, and what God knows is the actual root problem is not where the symptom is. And so he, unbeknownst to you, he touches this other spot in your life, and that'll make you mad. No, that's not God. I need this problem fixed. And God was like, well, if you let me work on this, this will go away. But I'm going to cause pain, actually, where you don't feel any pain. But it's to fix your pain. Tony Dungy, the NFL coach, has a son with a genetic problem that he doesn't feel pain he's had 30 surgeries for injuries that happen because he doesn't feel pain he hurts himself and doesn't know it he's had 30 surgeries because he doesn't feel pain i'm telling you that in our fallen sinful world pain is a blessing from god to make us stop doing what causes the pain so to avoid pain, and I'm talking about the pain of our pride, the pain of confessing sin, the pain of listening to somebody else and being teachable, to avoid that and just bulldoze your way through your own life is actually the deadliest thing we could do. I read a book from Philip Yancey years ago, and in the, it, he talks about pain, and he talks about uh, that leprosy is not a flesh-rotting disease. Leprosy is a nervous disease that makes the leper not be able to feel pain. And we think that leprosy means their nose and ears and fingers fall off, but what happens is they get cuts and don't know it. And so then they get infection, and then their flesh rots. That's leprosy. Leprosy is the absence of pain. Well, in Scripture, leprosy is a symbol of sin. Sin hardens us so that we don't feel what is killing us. Avoiding pain, and I mean the pain of addressing our own sin, will kill us. A.W. Tozer said, before God uses a man greatly, he wounds him deeply. He's got to cut into us. He has to touch where it's painful in order to get rid of the tumor, to get rid of the infection or to work out the problem. 
Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, you have people that you think are great, but they aren't your friend. They're just kiss-ups. You have other people that maybe have hurt you very bad. And I don't mean necessarily in sin, but maybe you think it was. There's people who have hurt us, who are, or who are giving us advice that hurts our pride, who are more faithful friends than most. Talking about saying Asahel thought Abner was his enemy. Abner was giving him advice to save his life. Some of the greatest wisdom you have heard from is stuff that hurt your feelings. Let me say that again. That's not in my notes. I will just throw that in for free. Some of the greatest wisdom you have ever heard in your life hurt your feelings really bad. Whether that's from grandma or a boss or a coach or a pastor, however it came, some of it, not all of it, some of it, that hurts our feelings, that is insulting, is really the best advice you've ever heard. Somebody loves you enough to speak the truth. When we are approached by somebody who wants to correct us or rebuke us or we really only have two responses. We can harden our heart because I don't want, either in pride or pain, I don't want to admit that I did anything wrong or that I have anything to learn. And we can become resistant and angry and argue and justify ourselves and make war. And our heart gets hard. And we reinforce ourselves in our own sins or mistakes. Or we can respond with humility, and I can listen, and I can learn, and I can forgive, and I can ask God to teach me and correct me. I am not here to say that I do it perfect, but I want to. I want it to become my automatic response that when somebody makes me angry or hurts my feelings, says something either in a church context or in family or whatever, I want my response to be, not just Jesus said, bless those that curse you, love your enemies, do good to those that spitefully use you. But I want to do that, but I also want to ask the Lord, even if I think the other person's wrong, okay, God, what do you have to teach me? I do not say that I do that perfect at all, but I do it a lot, and I honestly want to do it perfectly. That even when I think somebody is my enemy, and they have attacked me unfairly or judged me incorrectly or told me that I was wrong when I don't think I was or whatever. I honestly want to go to God and say, number one, is that true? Is that something I haven't seen yet? And even if they're wrong, what can you teach me? Because I don't want a hard heart. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 I've abbreviated it here, but it says, Beware, brethren, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Our own bad habits are exceedingly deceptive. It is so hard to see them. Dang it, I don't like it when Sarah points them out. The older we get and the more mature we get, the quicker we are to listen to each other. When my dad or my grandpa has something to say, I better listen. 
even if they aren't saved. They have experience. They have wisdom. Some, well, my dad is saved, but maybe yours isn't, but a boss, even if he's angry at a mistake you just made, listen to what he says so that it doesn't happen again. Instead of getting mad and arguing or quitting and walking out, even if he or she, the manager, the boss, is doing it in the wrong way, listen. They're not your enemy. James 1, 19 and 20 says, My brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Don't be an ass of hell. Listen to advice, even when it comes from somebody you don't like. Even when it comes from somebody you think is your enemy, or even when it comes from somebody in a bad mood. Listen to the boss. Listen to mom. Listen to mom. Listen to mom. Even if she's ranting. Listen. We don't, especially, we don't want the rant to happen next time. Take the advice. Again, I'm using the word loosely, but listen to your enemies. I mean, the people that you're angry at or who are hurting your feelings or who aren't responding patiently to you, listen anyway. Uh, Some of the time, I don't want to say most, but a lot of the time, we're not enemies. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for teaching us how to get along with each other and how to be like you. Lord, we do want to be a unified church family. We want unity in our marriages. Lord, we pray for unity between parents and children. Lord, we want our homes to be homes of unity and joy and peace. We want to be blessed in our work. We want to be faithful employees, good servants of our managers and employers, Lord, and we want to be good bosses. And So we thank you for your relationship instruction, Lord. Thank you for teaching us humility and patience and graciousness. Lord, thank you for the pain that you bring to heal us. Lord, we don't believe that all pain is from you. Obviously not. But Lord, you thank you that you are a good surgeon, that you are the great physician, and you know what to address, and you know how to fix it. What needs worked out, what needs pulled out, what needs cut out, so that we can be whole and free and clean full of life. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We bless your name. Amen.